Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I am your host, Donnie Mae. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team-based model approach to athletic performance, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. Hello and welcome back to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Mabe, and we have got a super awesome episode for you today. But before we get to today's guest, I've got my trusty co-host in the house today, Coach Mike Hansen. How are you doing, Coach Hansen? I'm doing great. Uh, currently, we're recording this in late February, so we have some winter sports and conference play, and it's, it's kind of an exciting time here around the 40 Acres. That's right. We just came out of Snowmageddon here in Austin, and we all survived that. That was interesting. And uh, so we are back to normal temperatures here. So glad that's happening. So we made it through it. Uh, Coach Hanson, uh, if you'll do the, the honor of introducing our guest, we'll, we'll get right into the show. So go ahead and introduce our special guest today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so joining us today is Dr. Mark Bubbs, who is currently a consultant performance nutritionist for Canada Basketball and Altus. He's the author of a relatively new book coming on about two years here in a few months, uh, the book Peak, which I'm sure we'll reference here in a bit. He hosts his own podcast, the Performance Nutrition Podcast, and he's worn many hats as an author, speaker, sport dietitian, strength coach, and more. Without further ado, I'll pass the mic back to Coach Mabe, and we can kick up our dialogue with Dr. Mark Bubbs. Dr. Mark Bubbs, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doc. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I feel like the snowmageddon was, uh, you know, you guys know I'm from Canada, so it's very topical with getting the weather. Uh, how did you guys enjoy that little deep freeze? We, uh, we Texans don't fare well in cold. <laughs> not really prepared for it, right? It's not really prepared for it. Well, you, I think my daughter worked at one of the stores here, HEB, the stores, the grocery stores, completely just uh, empty from everybody buying everything. So you thought it was the end of the world, but it's funny. Yeah, well, I guess it's, I guess you guys know it's always going to warm up in Texas, so you got to just ride it out, right? Right, right. It turned the corner quick, and, and thank the good Lord it did. So we're good now, but uh, super excited to have you on the show. We appreciate your time today. Yeah, Donnie, Michael, I mean, appreciate you guys having me on. Cool. I'll kick us off, and the first question I have is, uh, Dr. Bubs, can you share insight into where you are professionally, kind of your, your path, how you got there, and in any current projects, maybe you're, you're working on kind of those three things, kind of where you're at professionally, how you got there, and anything you're doing now currently that, that you'd be uh, willing to share. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, I'm a performance nutritionist. I work as the performance nutrition lead for Canada basketball. So our, our Olympic team, but all the way down to our 13-year-olds, our, our cadets. And so we, we build out programs for the young athletes all the way up to the, to the senior team. And I also consult. So I consult in, with different sports and you know, supporting about a dozen plus individual athletes for Tokyo coming up here, hopefully fingers crossed in 2021. And of course, uh, you know, consult with team sport athletes as well. And also work in general population, you know, helping people lose weight, improve their blood sugars, that type of thing. And, you know, for me over the years, having kind of a lens of trying to support health and athlete health is, is really one of the deeper philosophies for me because it, it's it's been an area where we see now in sport you know just keeping athletes healthy keeping them available to play preventing them from getting run down and sick and tired um, is actually a performance enhancer and so 
that's been sort of the angle in which, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I started to do more and more work with athletes and, uh, and with team Canada and, and, you know, in team sport, I mean, just, just keeping guys and gals healthy enough to be, to be able to practice and to be able to play in every game is a big deal, right? Especially today with all the load management and everything else. And so, you know, that's kind of the lens that I come from. And of course, you know, um, using a food first approach to nutrition, but also when we're dealing with elite athletes that targeted supplementation where we need it. And again, just keeping those athletes as healthy as you can. That's good stuff. Anything, anything you're working on right now? Yeah. I mean, now it's consulting with, uh, you know, we've got some individual players uh, throughout the NBA season and then the lead up to Tokyo is, is, is obviously pretty full on with a lot of track and field athletes. So getting them ready to go and uh, actually just finishing up the next book, which is a smaller, you know, it's a, it's a shorter version of, of peak. Um, and so, yeah, so those are the, those are the projects that are keeping me busy at the moment. Awesome. Thank you. I think it's that, that lens of kind of like you're saying where you wear many hats and you come, you, you work with athletes, you work on, you know, whether it's sport related, health related, et cetera. I think that's why we were so eager to host you um, because you highlight facets of performance that can be shrugged off by quite a few people, yet they're a critical piece to the performance puzzle, if you will. Um, so in your book, Peak, you write um, quite a bit about recovery and the recovery hierarchy using Penfold's recovery pyramid to illustrate that. And you have a great quote in that book saying, recovery tools and strategies are great, but you're putting the cart before the horse if your recovery emphasis is focused on strategies. Um, which is an awesome quote, by the way. Uh, but could you illustrate Penfold's recovery pyramid for our listeners and then expand on the principles of that? 100%. Yeah. I mean, Lachlan Penfold is a tremendous uh, coach and performance uh, lead from Australia. Um, the National Rugby League, one of their, their big teams, I think it's the Melbourne Tigers, they're called. They're one perennial favorites and and winners. And, and, you know, he spent a lot of time there and he actually came over to, to the US for a little while and worked for. Uh, Golden State Warriors in the NBA. And, uh, you know, just being able to talk to him, it was interesting to see some of the things that resonate when we talk about athlete recovery. Because this idea, and we see it now in the last 10 years of research around, you know, how sleep science has exploded in the last decade. And, you know, even nutrition, I mean, 20 years ago, there wasn't a lot of thought around nutrition. I mean, teams didn't have sport dietitians or performance nutritionists. It was a very different environment. And so, this whole recovery piece and, and interesting to see things through Lachlan's lens as well of, of sleep obviously being fundamental to recovery. Cause if we don't sleep enough, it's just such an uphill battle to be able to recover effectively. And, you know, the other pieces of that, the bottom of that pyramid, if you will, being nutrition one, but also mental, emotional stress being another one. And I think that's one that we don't inherently think of all the time. And I think it's a big one for young athletes, like high school athletes, collegiate athletes. It's, it's big for adult or professional athletes as well. But at that age, I mean, we we know that there's heavy demands from an athletic standpoint, especially at schools like, like University of Texas. But then all those other demands in that athlete's life, all the other things that are going on, that actually adds into that whole training load, if you will. And so I think that's where some of the art of the practice comes because as coaches, you guys have got to be able to sort of tease out and feel out how that athlete's doing, you know, are they having to stay up late to be able to, to study for a, a test or an exam? Are they coping well um, with their new, you know, if they're a freshman, 
And so all those things start to matter. And I think that's where, you know, we see that art of the practice, whether it's coaching from an S&C standpoint or performance nutritionist or dietitian, that we can actually make some real tangible gains if, if we try to keep our finger on the pulse of, of those three buckets there, nutrition, sleep, and that mental, emotional stress. Absolutely. Um, and I think we want to try to tap into each of those three buckets today. Um, and we can kind of start with nutrition, but just with a broad question, again, you can kind of take it where you want, but how do athletes diets, whether they're sufficient or not directly affect their performance? And are there athletes who are more affected by a poor diet, uh, than others? Yeah. I mean, I think when you're younger, you can get away with things and things aren't as obvious. And then, which makes it more challenging for the high school coach or the collegiate coach, because, you know, there, there's more of a buffer, if you will, although, you know, you're still going to be impacted. And I think one of the big things when we talk about just, I mean, recovery, of course, but even just adaptation to training is, is being able to achieve enough energy in the diet. And one of the things that we tend to see, and don't get me wrong, I mean, protein intake is tremendously important. Um, and it's definitely one of those things we want to establish uh, in athletes. But once we get like, if it's a team sport athlete, let's say, there's a lot of accelerations and decelerations and the amount of you know, energy required to even go through a two-hour basketball, soccer, football practice you know, is so high that if we're consuming more like 1.6 grams per kilogram body weight of protein, it's really the sweet spot at that point because we want you to be in a caloric excess. But because the messaging, and I find this one more with, the, with male collegiate or younger athletes and female, but I can go both ways, <clears throat> is that heavy emphasis on protein. And now we're, once we start pushing protein up higher, we can start to feel more satiated, more full. And now all of a sudden, we're not eating as many calories in the meal, right? And so I think we've got to make sure that, you know, if we're after adaptations, if we're after recovery, you know, the biggest signal, if you will, and we talk about signal to noise in the book, but like the biggest signal is total energy intake. And so we've got to make sure that that's that that's being accounted for. And, you know, it's tough when student athletes, right, they're busy, they're here and there all day long. And so I think for coaches, it's always good to be checking in and seeing, you know, is your athlete getting to breakfast every day? Are they having that snack mid-morning? Is the lunch always on point? Like just that meal frequency is a big one for me because if we can keep athletes eating in that certain pattern all the time, whether it's five, six, seven meals a day, it gets harder to not get enough calories in. You know what I mean? Like if you're missing snacks or missing meals, that caloric drop gets pretty steep pretty quick. For sure. Um, you, you kind of mentioned like young versus old, male versus female. Um, what are like some of the, the differences in what maybe a recommended diet? And again, there's a ton of variables to this, but say for an endurance athlete versus a more power explosive athlete. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the the macronutrient that swing the pendulum swings the most on is going to be carbohydrates because, you know, depending on the the sport or the demands of the session or the or what you're trying to achieve in that session, you might only have a gram per kilo of carbohydrate or two grams per kilo um, for the day, even um, on the lower end, maybe three. But then you get into an endurance athlete you know, you're getting into seven, eight, nine, ten 10 grams per kilogram of carbohydrate, which is a massive amount. And so, you know, it does become really important to, you know, to know who you're dealing with and to know 
what level they're at, because sometimes, and you see this more in recreational, but we tend to feel recreational elite endurance athletes a bit too much like they're professional and it's easy to overfuel, right? If we put too many simple sugars into the system, you know, blood sugars start climbing, um, you know, quite a bit as we're exercising. And then we're going to hit that, you know, we're going to bonk effectively, right? We're going to have that real steep decline in glucose levels. We're going to get hypoglycemic and it's just going to be, right. you, know, you know, exercising through mud really. And so that's kind of a key one as well. And we can, sometimes the messaging can get a little too, I don't know if myopic is kind of the better word, but like we're so focused on making sure we hit a certain number of carbs per day that we're not using, again, our eyes, our ears, to be able to see how the athlete's experiencing that. You know, are they having energy highs and lows? Do they feel really tired after meals? Because we do need to still personalize it because there is such a big window there for the carbs. For sure. Um, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but you were talking about availability and how important that is. And then there's that that kind of timeless adage in sport where the best ability is availability. There um, you so go. From, yeah. And so from a nutritional lens or, or diet lens, how does nutrition play a role? Again, whether it's immunity or again, we talked about caloric excess, like how does nutrition play a role in having athletes feel fresh and stay healthy? I mean, it's, it's fundamental and it's, you know, if we continue on the conversation from carbohydrates, it's like, if we don't get enough carbohydrate in the diet, then immune function will start to be impacted, right? We'll start to be more prone to colds and flus and those colds and flus might last a little bit longer than they normally would. And this can become challenging for a lot of, not even just young athletes, but professional athletes as well, is that if you hear a lot of things in the media and social media and your friends around just being lean or the diets that help people to get leaner, you know, athletes are humans too. And this is where we realize that they're, you know, they're susceptible to the same sort of, um, some of the desires of wanting to lean out or get leaner or see abs or whatever it might be. And now all of a sudden they start changing their diet. And so if we start reducing carbohydrate, we can start then being, you know, impacting immune function. So we'll be more susceptible and protein, of course, plays a role there as well. And so again, if, if we want to, you know, if we, if we do want to be athlete health first, if you want to really drive that, then making sure that those key pillars are accounted for, right? You know that your athlete's achieving the daily total of protein that you want, and they're dividing that through the day. And similarly with the carbohydrates, we're, we've got an amount we're trying to achieve, we're dividing that through the day, and we might be including more simple sugars right before, during, or right after exercise uh, to be able to kind of get up to the amounts if we have a football player or somebody who needs a lot of calories. But but those things do become, you know, pretty important. And, you know, this is where these loops start to interconnect. And, you know, if you don't sleep enough, and this was a hallmark study done by Sheldon Cohen in the, in the early nineties, you know, they actually inoculated the, the subjects with uh, the cold virus. And if you got less than seven hours of sleep, then you're actually three times more likely to get sick, right? If you got less than six hours of sleep, you were four and a half times more likely. And so, you know, when we think of the reality sometimes of a student athlete, you know, days can be long. There's a lot of demands. There's this, all the, you know, the studying and the tests. And so, you know, that gets back into this whole, if we're looking at that recovery pyramid that we talked about, Penfold's pyramid, we think, well, my athlete might be missing meals. So now we're not getting enough carbohydrate or protein perhaps. 
Are athletes not sleeping enough? So now we're going to have an impact on immunity. And all those things tie into potentially more mental, emotional stress because we're, you know, it's end of season, it's, it's exams. And so, you know, again, just kind of talking to your athlete, that little conversation that you have, that five minutes during the warm up that's more casual um, or the little breaks in between can be pretty important because you're going to tease out a lot of information on kind of what's going on in that athlete's life. And I think that's where we can then, because sometimes in those one-to-ones with the nutritionist, you know, athletes are so wired to perform, they're, they don't want to necessarily let in or let out that they're not eating at a certain time or missing a certain meal. But when they're at the athletic therapist table, when they're getting massage, when they're with the S&C, it's a bit more relaxed environment. And now all of a sudden, sometimes we pick up on things that, that we might not have. And so I think that's where, you know, when you have a, a good cohesive team, you can all communicate together and and that's where you can sometimes just put the, you know, put the warning light in the dashboard there and say, okay, we need to have a conversation with, you know, so-and-so athlete because I think that they're not getting enough sleep. And, you know, anything that opens the door so that we can start to tease out some of those potential problems before they actually become, you know, real problems. It's good stuff. Uh, Dr. Dr. Bose, appreciate you sharing that. I had a question here. This, this one's a little bit more probably pertinent to college athletics. We do deal with this, but with, with social media, it seems like there are a lot of supposed kind of experts everywhere now, and it can be tough for athletes and coaches to decipher what's fallacy and what's really fact. So question for you is how can athletes and coaches know if the information they are getting is sound? Yeah. I mean, that's a tough one, right? It's a, it's a real challenge. And that was one of the themes of when I wrote, peak was around just like all these elite coaches and performers in the book are all the ones that don't have a lot of followers on Instagram because they're too busy, you know, working in performance. And so that's not to say that there aren't lots with high numbers of followers, but you know, it, it does make it tricky, right? Like how do we, and, and even more so for the athletes, because it's easy to get down some of the rabbit holes around just again, sort of physique or what things might look like. Um, and so I think it starts with just building relationships, right? Like even in, in a, a medical situation, a, a doctor's visit, you know, and I give some talks for, for GPs and docs, it's like, you know, why is that client or patient taking advice from their sister or brother or girlfriend or whoever, and not the expert or the person they're coming to, right? And when you think about it, it's because they have a relationship with them, right? There's a level of trust. And so I think that's what we need to build out and I'm sure you guys do a great job at uh, you know University of Texas, but it's like as we build out this relationship and we build the trust with the athlete, then there's that comfort level to know that, all right, I know Donnie's always got my back. I know Coach Hanson's always going to be, you know, giving me the best advice. So I've got a question about caffeine or this supplement or that supplement. I'm going to go, I'm going to go run it by them, right? And I think ultimately that's that we got to build that trust so that athletes will want to bring things internally to to the collection of experts that you have versus, you know, kind of going off on their own. And, you know, to be fair, that's a challenge, not only in collegiate sport, but professional sport as well. If there's not that kind of trust and cohesion, it's very easy for um, athletes to then say, well, I'm going to follow this or this because I feel it's best. And, and now it's could be problematic, right? Because it might not actually be a, an evidence-based strategy. And then we could be open ourselves up to problems down the road. Yeah, I think just to kind of a little deeper on that, like we, I know I've ran into this, you know, with different athletes, um, 
wanting to do just like vegan only, but that be high performers. You know, we've I've seen it with athletes that they won't eat they won't eat proteins, you know, or, or meat basically, and they, you know, you try to you try to work with an athlete like that, and then they're always injured or dealing with some kind of chronic inflammation or injury. You know, how how would you, you know, how would you those hard situations, uh, doctor? How have you kind of navigated and work with maybe an athlete that's not as open? Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a really good one, and that's you know when, when diets become popular, um, you know it gets challenging, or a certain documentary comes out and everybody's on board, um, and so you know with that, I think you know a study just came out showing that if we do get to that one point six grams per kilogram per day of protein, we can get a lot, you know, we can almost offset any of the differences between animal and vegetable protein. Now that study was done in novice athletes, you know, like just collegiate students. So whether that transfers totally to elite athletes is, is, you know, there's probably a little bit of uh, unknown there, but I think the biggest thing is to come back to your principles. So that's what I mean by, you know, is your athlete achieving X amount of protein? Are they achieving X amount of carbohydrate? because that's those are the things that will start to shift. And typically with more of a plant-based approach, we do see protein start to come down a little bit. And, you know, we do get a little bit more concerned with any athlete that needs to have that struggles with lower iron status. So if we think of some of the female athletes, then we've got to really be proactive with figuring out how we're going to address that because, you know, even iron supplementation is very slow and very, you know, oftentimes doesn't work right it's ineffective at really moving that iron status so i think again it's 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 almost like putting it back on the athlete like rather than i think sometimes we defer to trying to like once we have this moment of a little bit of conflict we almost want to explain you know to the to the athlete why they should do it we want to appeal to the rational part of the brain and you know our performance uh mental performance coach at canada basketball you know, he's quick to point out that, you know, humans don't make decisions based off of rationality. I mean, 90% of the decisions we make are based off of emotion, whether we realize it or not. And so I think we need to sort of flip it on its head and maybe just put it back on the athlete to say, hey, that's interesting. You're following so such and such a diet. Like, can you tell me a bit more about, you know, what, you know why you're doing that or how it's helping you? Because once we know why someone's doing it, then it's easier for us to over the weeks and maybe, you know, hopefully days or weeks to sort of unpack things and maybe show them that there's a an additional strategy we need to add because they're doing X diet. You know what I mean? Like rather than if we lose, if we break that, that, that relationship off the bat by being a bit too adversarial, um, it's tough. And of course, the better relationship you have with, with your athlete, the more you can be really straightforward if you think it is a really bad strategy. But if it's a newer athlete or whatnot, you know, you've got to, you've got to, tiptoe around that conversation a little bit that's a good point i think yeah you definitely the emo that I, i've seen that the emotional piece with an athlete because it makes them feel good or at least they believe it makes them feel better um is kind of sometimes their rationale that's that definitely is true um oh yeah uh, the next- belief and especially around like if they see another athlete or a professional athlete yeah. who's doing it then the belief is really high right they have this big big belief and that's where yeah, you've just got to take your time and kind of work around the argument versus coming at it head on because otherwise, yeah, it could be tough. No doubt. Um, I had a, one more question, uh, and then Micah, take the next one. But 
it's not uncommon in, in athletics for females to kind of lose their menstrual cycle, mm-hmm. right? So what impact does that have both on their health and uh, their performance? Again, just talking about females. And I work with females and, and you know, occasionally you'll see that. So what would be your kind of thoughts on that, Dr. Bubbs? That's a really interesting uh, area. Um, and as a dad with three daughters, it's a, it's an area that I mean, I work with, you know, even Olympic female athletes, but it's interesting, uh, you know, the research in that area, let's see, even say 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it was just common, commonly thought that if you're an elite, let's say even endurance athlete, you know, you're going to lose your menstrual cycle if you're female. And over the years, we see more and more research done specifically in women and, um, and, and Dr. Susan Kleiner is a great resource for this. She's, uh, you know, works in as a sport dietitian and very, very well known. And, um, you know, she points out a lot of research now that we see showing that if you maintain menses, you actually perform better. And if we get back to this idea of athlete health, right? Well, we know that a regular menstrual cycle is reflective of, of typically of better overall health. And so for a female athlete, it's almost, you know, a, a even brighter warning light on the dashboard of your car, letting you know that something's off, right? It's the training. Is it the training load? Is it the nutrition? Is it the sleep? Like there, if you're, you have a irregular menses or you're, you know, you're missing periods, then that's the, that's the starting point for the conversation around, okay, let's go back to the nutrition and see if we're getting everything we need. Are we getting enough protein? Are we getting enough total energy, which typically is the one that gets sacrificed because sometimes these sports athletes need to be lean as well. Right. And there can be a fear of, of carbohydrate intake, you know, these days and, and maintaining leanness and, and this is where, again, like appealing to different sides. But if we think about elite physique competitors who are female, you know, the leanest of the lean, they're consuming, you know, three and a half to four grams of carbohydrates per kilogram body weight. So that's a lot of carbohydrate, right? Um, and then we have these elite athletes who are, whether it's track and field or soccer or whatever else, and they're consuming two grams per kilo per day. And again, a lot of that's just infiltrated beliefs from people around them and, and people in the general population, if they are overweight, then adopting a lower carb diet is not a bad strategy, right? But it's that context piece that's so key, right? If like, as soon as you change the context and you go from general population overweight to, to elite female athlete, it, you know, the solutions are going to be different. And so, you know, another example of just being able to kind of layer in, you know, nudge up the the caloric intake, whether it's, you know, putting more rice or pasta to just get the density of the carbs up, um, whether it's throwing in a bit more, another meal or snack. But those are some of the things you want to think about. Because if you do have an athlete that's, um, you know, the, the menstrual cycle is being interrupted, then, you know, that's a signal to to start to explore all those other areas. Good. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Doc. No, that, that was awesome, Dr. Dr. Bubbs. Um, one thing you had said a few minutes back was you talked about kind of the importance of establishing trust. And that seems like a common theme, whether we're interviewing um, people with kind of a uh, um, sports diet, dietetics hat, strength and conditioning, sports psychology, et cetera, is that trust is kind of that bridge that connects the athlete to coach. Um, and it's, it's, it's seemingly like a way that you can kind of combat that fallacy that's appealing to a celebrity or a documentary or, you know, whatever the latest diet fad is. So I, I just thought it was awesome that you brought that up because 
again, it seems like a reoccurring theme that if you want to get buy-in from anyone or, or have influence um, with them, you, just, you have to establish that trust. Yeah. I mean, it's a really good point. And it's still today. I mean, classically, if we talk about a nutrition standpoint, like, you know, the nutritionist or sport dietitian is going to see an athlete kind of once a month and, or once every so many weeks, and it's going to be in an appointment style setting. Um, and it's really hard to build trust that way, right? Because it's a very sort of medicalized type visit. Whereas when you look at the interactions when an athlete's with the strength coach, an athlete's on the training table, an athlete's, you know, getting taped up, those are very different interactions. And so, you know, when I'm with Canada Basketball, I'm trying to do as much work as I can in those other places rather than having to feel like it's a sit down athletes across the table from me. And it's, you know, those obviously happen, but it's amazing how we can tease out so much great information by just being in the essence, being in the gym, being around the training table. And then, you know, even as a practitioner, you can layer in that one piece of information. You know, I think sometimes we always feel, well, they're athletes. Let's give them eight things to do. Well, you know, at the end of the month, they'll be doing eight things poorly or not at all, right? Like, let's give them one thing to do. Let's do that well. Let's ingrain it, make it a habit. And then it's taken care of. That athlete's going to do that for the rest of the season. And then we can move on. You know, if we have that kind of longer term look and just, you know, and I think this is where sometimes the, the SNC hat helps because you have your your annual plan and already you're looking really long-term. Whereas I think, you know, sometimes with nutrition, we can get a little bit too acute rather than saying, hey, I got eight, nine, 10 months. What do I want to layer in over that time? Sure. Kind of more of like a proactive approach versus reactive. 100%. Yeah. Um, uh, and then shifting gears here a little bit is um, we had kind of talked about here, um, especially at the collegiate level, is that athletes, it seems like they are, most of them struggle with sleep, right? And sleep is um, it's mm. one of those things where I think in your book, you had quoted someone saying it's non-negotiable. Like that's how important and crucial sleep is to performance. And it, it seems like there's an infinite number of, of detriments, insufficient sleep. Um, and you even wrote that there's virtually no area of health unscathed by lack of sleep. So could you speak more to that as far as um, kind of how insufficient sleep influences our health and performance and maybe specific um, outcomes that happen when we do um, lack sleep, I guess? Yeah, it's a really interesting one because, you know, today we're getting into this situation where we are, well, I'll tell you, a recent study came out of collegiate athletes, collegiate students rather, and the term's called nomophobia, which is basically if you don't have your phone near you, you feel anxiety. And they said, okay, well, how many, what percentage of the student population experienced this in the evening if they're about to go to bed and they don't have their phone? And it was, you know, 80 to 90%. <laughs> and so we've ingrained now, you know, we're used to having this device if you're, you know, of a certain age. And so it's like, okay, now how are we going to do this? Because we know that taking the phone away is good to get rid of the blue light, the stimulation and everything else. But if it's triggering this level of anxiety, that's, that's causing an even greater response. Well, that's even worse, right? So sure. which direction do we go? In? And we know to your point, I mean, you know, we've been walking around upright for 200,000 years and we haven't evolved out of the need to sleep. And it's been the same, you know, throughout evolution um, as best the sleep experts can tell us. And so, we do need that at least seven hours. And for athletes, you know, experts like Dr. Sherry Ma, who you, you, know, you mentioned there about that sleep's a non-negotiable, um, you know, 
we're looking for eight hours and that's not easy to get in one shot all the time. Um, so things like little naps can be helpful, right? You know, if you're an early riser, then you nap for half an hour more towards between one and 2 PM. And if you're a, or two 30, um, and if you're a late riser, then you can nap, you know, between two 30 or four and trying not to, to nap past four o'clock is typically the recommendation, but, but so adding to your total sleep time is going to be key for recovery and key for performance. Cause we see on both metrics, it, it you know, helps you run faster, helps you hit better three point um, accuracy, better first serve accuracy. I mean, all the metrics that we see. Um, but that piece around the evening is one that you can, is the one we got to start to unpack. Like, how do we, how do we then say, okay, you can use your phone in the evening, but at this time we're going to put it away a half hour before bed and we're going to do some light stretching or we're going to, you know, watch a show on the TV and not your laptop. Um, you know, these types of things that we can start to, again, just create these patterns that we get used to rather than, unfortunately, the pattern that we see, which is basically, you know, athletes in bed scrolling through their phone, um, you know, which is which is setting the wrong the wrong pattern. And unfortunately, you know, impair sleep quality and recovery for sure um and even even kind of adding to that is like i like i know it's tough when athletes have practices that are scheduled early or i even have a few athletes who have pretty late um tutoring sessions so yeah. it's for me I've, I've found that it's more of trying to educate them on a number of different strategies that could seemingly help them and then kind of seeing which strategies they gravitate towards or kind of which ones work for them specifically. And then from there, we kind of move forward, trying to move that needle that you were talking about just a little bit. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, I guess in the summer in Texas, when it's 120 degrees, it might not seem like the best, uh, but you know, a hot shower, a hot bath, when you finish that off in the evening, you come out and then you start to rapidly cool and that triggers, you know, melatonin and some of these, these sleep pathways. And so, you know, from a behavior standpoint that can tend to be sort of an easy one to throw in there because it's not, you know, it's enjoyable. It's, it's not too arduous to do and it's, and it's going to elicit some of the benefits that we're looking for. So yeah, to your point, anything that we can start to just nudge people towards that'll build out the habits that we're looking for, because it's weird to think that from a performance standpoint, if you, all you did was just improve sleep from six and a half to eight hours in your athletes. I mean, you know, that's, that's a pretty powerful, pretty powerful increase. For sure. Um, does that, does that change as far as, again, we talked about kind of some sleep strategies there. Um, when you throw in traveling for, for athletes of any age. Yeah. I mean, traveling is, you know, depending on how far you're going, if you're going East or West, um, you know, it's always easier to adapt, uh, when we're going West and tougher when we're going East, but, um, you know, getting into these patterns. And so, you know, if you do land somewhere new, you want to try to get outside and get exposure to light in the morning to help set those circadian rhythms uh, when you eat your breakfast and, and when you exercise in the morning all helps. And if you're a caffeine or coffee drinker or tea drinker, then that also helps to, to set that new normal. Um, I guess the challenge for a lot of college athletes is they're not there for very long. So, you know, that's a question for the performance staff of whether we want them to even adapt to the new, the new time zone. Um, so I think one of the things is if you do have a good sleep routine, so again, whether it's 30 minutes before bed or an hour before bed, just a nice little series of things that you do. You know, you put your phone away, maybe you do some light stretching, maybe you read and then you go to bed or maybe there's this, you know, stretching and then shower and then bed. Some, some sequence that you do that starts to prepare 
your body and eventually your brain gets the signal you know a bit like pavlov's dog that okay when these sequence of events happens we end up in bed and it's it's time to decompress then the nice part is is just doing those initial sequences just doing the light stretching starting to read going in the showers you know you're already the body is then getting that cue that okay it's time to it's time to wind down and so when you're traveling then that can be really helpful because you're, you're using those same cues to 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 send those those signals uh, dr bubs i had a question have you ever used any sleep technology just on monitoring that is that have you ever used that and found any benefit from it yeah i mean we've used different ones i mean we used a lot of the aura ring over the last few years um and and you know various other tools um it's one of those things where i think we've got to be a little bit mindful even particularly with younger athletes because you know it can induce problems as well as solve problems um and so you know if someone's going to get a bit of anxiety because their sleep score isn't the greatest then we've got to be mindful of how we're sort of judging that and so i think that's where maybe there's value in objective metrics in certain athletes uh, but I think there's still a lot of value with sleep with just subjective. Like, what time are you in bed? Do you fall asleep quickly? Once you fall asleep, do you stay asleep all night or do you wake up for the night? And, you know, when you wake up, do you wake up refreshed? You know, just, just knowing that, like, can you fall asleep well? Do you stay asleep through the night? And when you wake up, how do you feel? You know, that gives you some pretty good information to to go by. And, you know, I'm sure with collegiate athletes, it's always like, how do I feel? I feel tired, Right. Um, but trying to you know gauge that level of tiredness and, and and that's when you can start to make some of those connections to the athlete right like that energy drink they're having at 3 p.m to be up for training well maybe that's not the best idea or maybe right. you know maybe we only use that on game days or certain things that we're trying to because otherwise you know now that's why the that athlete might be a little bit edgy or you know oh i can't fall asleep that type of thing since yeah it's uh funny you said something there i know i've definitely witnessed this but yeah data collection especially if our athletes see it that can definitely cause anxiety or even just psychologically mess with them in their head so you got to be careful for sure yeah because we feel like we're being assessed right and i think when you're an elite athlete you're always used to wanting to perform well and you're used to performing well and so i think that can be you know it's it's an interesting one um because i know the you know when you show an athlete you know, the research they've done where you show an athlete, they recover poorly, they run slower, uh, even though it's not true, you know, you're fibbing the data and if they show them that they recovered great, then they run faster. So we really got to be, be careful of how we're communicating and, and yeah, why we're collecting certain pieces of data. Like what is it helping us to solve? I'm going to shift gears again a little bit right here. Um, do it. Topic. So just thinking talking about stress management here, uh, athletes, especially in the collegiate level, um, they have stressors all around them between training and school, the relationship, social pressure. Um, what would you recommend to coaches and athletes regarding how to monitor and relieve uh, excess or uh, unwanted stress? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question because it's like technology opens us up to more stressors because we're we, we don't escape the social pressures right if the athlete's always on their phone um but at the same time the phone's how they communicate with friends and that's how they you know get a few laughs and that type of thing so finding the right balance there is really key um i think an easy one 
is just getting out in nature a little bit more, which could sound kind of cheesy, but it's like just being around trees, being around grass, go by, you know, go for a walk in uh, the wooded area, get by the water. Like all of those things dramatically reduce cortisol levels, reduce stress levels. Um, and it's enjoyable too, right? So this is kind of one where for, for different athletes, and I've had, you know, in working with, with S&C coaches with some of the best athletes in the world, you know, that's been the suggestion is to bring down some of these higher stress loads and they've worked pretty well. So I wouldn't, you know, that's, that's a really nice one to be able to kind of include it. Hey, go for a walk with a friend, go for a, you know, a light jog or, you know, up this hill or mountain or whatever. Um, that's a really nice way because you're getting connection to someone, you're getting outdoors. And when you're doing it, typically you're not on your phone. So you're hitting three, you know, we're away from the technology as well. So, you know, those types of things that can help kind of relax, decompress and, and get outside of the, the thinking brain, I think are pretty, uh, can be pretty effective. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I think too, and during this COVID time we're in, obviously mm. our athletes not be able to, to be out on campus they're in their, their rooms or, you know, little cubbies indoors and they're not getting the light exposure and the interaction that you would have just casual from class to class and from building to building. And so that's something that we've noticed. It's been a challenge to have to, to manage and find ways to, to mitigate some of that. So it's been, it's been tough. Yeah. I mean, you, you're dead on. I mean, that the, the pandemic's really highlighted just how much we need movement, just daily movement and human connection and being outside because everybody's just feeling more just, you know, almost like pressure in the system, right? It's just, we're all a bit edgier. We're not, it's not the same. And that's that human contact piece, just as you mentioned, and that's the getting outside piece. So yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. I've even, I've even noticed personally, Dr. Bubs, that when it's sunny and I can get outdoors, I just, my mooding like improves significantly personally. And, and I just have noticed that more this, this year during the pandemic than ever. So well, I, I tell you what, Donnie, I'm the same. We actually moved down to the coast here and we're by the water. And I tell you what, like since the pandemic, just getting down to the water to see this big expanse, I mean, it's almost unbelievable how much it just relaxes, just brings everything down a notch. And that, that really blew me away because even, you know, you're reading about the benefits and you do it, but then you, you really experience something like that. And you think, okay, this is, uh, this is definitely having a big impact. That's good stuff. No, that's good to hear is one thing. I try to tell our athletes is like on the weekends when they, when they leave either a Friday or Saturday lift is I'm always yelling at them, like go for a walk this weekend. <laughs> like, you know, get outside. Don't just sit inside and scroll. Like you kind of spoke to how if that's a pretty common thing now, nowadays, especially with 18 to 22 year olds. And then another piece is, is we try to make sure it's depending on the situation of, as to where they're going next in their daily schedule. But we try to belly breathe for at least a few minutes at the end of every session. And part of that, you know, is all the research on, you know, belly breathing and breath work. But another part is again, just relaxing and trying to unplug for a little bit longer. Um, kind of like you said, that takes them away from their phones. Yeah. I mean, that stuff's awesome because if you do it all the time after practices or after lifts, subconsciously the athletes learning it. Right. And they don't feel like they're, you know, it doesn't feel as, uh, as, as intense as learning, you know, in a, in a really formal setting, but now all of a sudden they have that skill set, right? So the fact that you've done it after practice or after lifting now, when they're at home, they're more inclined to like, yeah, lie down, do some deep breathing, or maybe if they go for a walk, you know, lie down in the grass or under a tree and do the same thing. So I think, yeah, it's a great, great tool because even that five or 10 minutes, which might seem really short, you know, it, it creates that skill set and that, uh, 
individual and, and now they've got those tools. Yeah. And you know, an- another thing I've seen um, with regards to unplugging versus staying plugged in is, is we are fortunate to work directly underneath with some transparent windows, um, our sports medicine department, but I've gone up there and I've seen athletes where, you know, if they're using Normatec compression pants, I've seen athletes, both ones who are essentially falling asleep, which I'm never upset about with, with our student athletes, but I've also seen <laughs> athletes just continue scrolling, you know, and then that's where I start to second guess is like, are you really getting much recovery in if, you know, maybe physiologically, depending on what you're doing, but psychologically, it's like, I don't know if you're necessarily in a parasympathetic state or if you're just worrying about how many likes you just got. That's a really good one. Cause I know from team to team in various sports, like performance staffs, there's kind of like a, a bit of a split between, Hey, let's just let this guy or gal do their thing on their phone. And the other groups that are like, no, 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 let's, we want to keep this time. Like, let's put the phones over there and set that norm. And let's just chat. Let's just have some, you know, whether it's therapist or the athlete or with, you know, the other athlete on the other table and have some of that, you know, just communication that when I was in university, that's all you did. Cause you didn't, you know, the phones, the phones weren't as good then, but now, now, as you said, otherwise you just, once you get into that phone, it's tough to, it's tough to lock out. For sure. Well, we're getting pretty close to wrapping up here. Um, so we just have a couple questions left. Um, what are some resources um, that you would recommend for any coaches or athletes to explore more on fueling um, for performance and recovery? Yeah. I mean, you know, the International Society of Sport Nutritionists is a great resource. Um, you know, the, the journal JISSN is uh, all, all the free papers that you can get to read up on, um, you know, great information, evidence-based, all the latest research that's coming out. So, you know, I think that's a, a tremendous resource. I think, you know, podcasts, more of the podcasts that go around now are, are, are great as well. Um, because we, again, you can get bite-sized information and in half an hour while you're on a run or a walk and uh and and coach if i can throw it in here we, we're, we're starting to launch at athlete evolution courses around performance nutrition so we've got one for performance nutrition for football and we got some of the best collegiate and nfl performance nutritionists and sport dietitians so we're trying to contribute to that that whole space where we can yeah get coaches whether it's snc um practitioners coaches just upskill people so that you know we can to the points we made before we know what's evidence-based and we know from people who've been you know boots on the ground where some of the gaps tend to be with with athletes that's awesome that's good stuff dr bubs i just real quick as we kind of close here i i uh you have three daughters you said (laughs) i do yeah seven four and two I got. Uh, I have four daughters. Mine are a little. Oh, more. look at that! Yeah, I've got. Okay, how old? One the my oldest one. She'll be twenty next week. So I got twenty, eighteen, seventeen, and fifteen. Jeez, I might have to call you for some advice in a couple of years, Donnie. Right. So hey, so just not not trying to be too serious, but a little lighthearted. Like you're the nutritionist as a dad. How do you navigate that with the with the ladies? How are you going to do that, Doc? That's a funny one because it's like, you know, my first my first daughter, you know, it was like keep her away from sugar. I think her first ice cream was at two years old and I still remember her eyes kind of rolling in the back of her head because it was just like, ah, this is amazing. Um, and then by daughter number three, it's like eat whatever you want. Just you know, it's like we just the lack of sleep and everything else. And I think the biggest thing I've learned is that just kids are so resilient. And so again, it really shows you, you got to play the long game. I think sometimes with, with new parents, we can get a little bit too dialed into 
exactly what they're having at this meal or that meal. But like, you know, as long as we get some of the right stuff in, then they need so much fuel anyway. And you might be able to hear them in the background here, but they need so much fuel anyway that it's not the end of the world if, uh, you know, they're having this or that as well. That's great advice. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, last thing, really kind of where can our listeners, if they want to connect with you or find more content from you, where where, where should we send them, Coach? Yeah, if you want to uh, stay connected, I got a funny last name. So at Dr. Bub's uh, Instagram, Twitter on social. Um, if you're looking for more information around performance nutrition, then you know check out athleteevolution.org. Um, and that's where you'll find the courses around performance nutrition. And you know my, my work website, it's drbubs.com. And so for general health and things like that, you can go there. Good stuff. Awesome. We appreciate it. Uh, Coach Hanchi, you got any, any kind of last parting words? Anything else? Uh, no, no daughters for me to speak of. So. <laughs> Not yet. Not seven, yet. seven between Donnie and I. So I think that's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I just, we appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day. We know that currently you're over in London, correct? Yes. Yep. I know it's probably getting pretty late there, but um, thanks again for joining us. Um, That's fantastic content and we can't wait to see kind of the projects that you come out with in the near future. Awesome guys. Listen, likewise, I appreciate you guys taking the time out because I know, uh, you you know, how how much hard work you guys put in and uh, I enjoy keeping tabs on, uh, on university of Texas sports. So I'll I'll be looking forward to seeing what happens this spring. Yes, sir. And uh, hopefully at some point, maybe, uh, we connect with you today. Maybe when COVID gets over, we'll, we'll have to try to find a way to get you to Austin for some barbecue over here. So yeah, I've, we'll, I've been uh, to Austin once, and man, it's you guys got a pretty nice town there. Yeah, it's it's great, especially when it's when COVID's not going on. For sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. But uh, well, thanks again, Doctor Bubs, and it has been a just a distinct honor and pleasure just to spend some time with you. We we value you, and and definitely uh huge fan of just reading the book right now. I'm going through your book. So we appreciate all your, the impact you're making and giving back to us as coaches. We appreciate you. Awesome guys. Thanks so much. All right. Well, that's it for the team behind the team podcast. Uh, this is uh, Donnie Mabe, coach Mike Hanson and Dr. Mark Bubb signing off from Austin. Everybody have a great week and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Team Behind the Team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mabe, and thanks so much for tuning in.